All right, we've got an amazing interview for you guys today. Uh, Benjamin Crump's in the studio. He uh, uh, most famously worked on Trayvon Martin's case, uh, which we covered, uh, but also Michael Brown, Walter Jones, and so many others trying to find uh, justice uh, for uh, the people underrepresented in this country. Ben, thanks for joining us. Appreciate hey, it. Thank you so much for having me, Jake. And uh, thanks to the Young Turks for covering Trayvon Martin's case early on when few people were covered. You know, I've been trying to make sure I publicly thanked you. I privately told you thank you. Uh, Ada Rodriguez, a good friend of mine who's on the show, I told Ada very heartfelt, you know, when Trayvon was killed, there was one news outlet that covered it locally there in Orlando. And we had to fight like H-E-L-L to get people to care about a young black boy being killed by a neighborhood watch volunteer. But the Young Turks, man, you all helped make it a mainstream story and helped make it become the number one news story in the world. So I just want to say thank you, man, from the bottom of my heart for Trayvon's family as well. Uh, thank you, I appreciate that. And you know, uh, part, part of what happened there was we saw the story down in Florida and thought it was an outrage. And, and, and we wanted to share it with the audience because we wanted pe people to know that unfortunately this stuff happens all the time. Yeah. Right, and uh, and sometimes mainstream media thinks, oh, nobody cares about that stuff. And then when our videos got millions of views, they were like, oh wait, now we care, right? Yeah. And and so the reality is, no, 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 it this affects people's lives deeply, and the injustice we've had enough. Yeah. Right? We just we're overflowing with injustice, unfortunately. And so that's why I, you know, right back at you, I, I deeply appreciate the work that you've been doing, trying to find the thing that we care most about on this show, justice. Yeah. But you all didn't stop there. You covered Michael Brown and Ferguson. Thank you for that. Tamir Rice in Cleveland, who I represented, his family. Uh, those 13 black women in Oklahoma City who was raped by the police officer Daniel Holtzclaw when nobody in mainstream media covered it. Uh, so I'm so grateful for your platform to cover stories that people otherwise don't think matter. Our lives matter, and so that's why I do the things I do in the courtroom. But we need people out in the media who will cover it even before it becomes popular. Uh, thank you. So now let's talk about uh, what's happening in Little Rock. Uh, so you're working with Roderick Talley, and, and, and there's this issue of no-knock warrants. So let, let's first, uh, before we get to Roderick, tell folks what's a no-knock warrant. The, a no-knock warrant is a warrant that the police presents to a judge based on a sworn affidavit that the circumstances are so serious and could be so violent that we will waive the traditional way that we execute a search warrant or a Fourth Amendment warrant where you knock on the door, you announce, it's the police, we have a warrant to search your premises, and this is why you have to explain to the citizen what it's about. Well, no, not warrant. You don't have to do any of that. You just throw the Constitution away for the most part. And you literally, Jink, you put explosives on the door and you blow the door off and you come in with guns because you have convinced the judge that this is such a potential violent situation and it's so serious that lives may be in danger of police officers that we're going to waive the constitutional rights of these citizens. And so in Little Rock, Arkansas, of all places, they have convinced judges in about a three-year span to 
execute 269 no-knock warrants, mostly on poor black people. So let me get this right. If it's Pablo Escobar, would you, and you were a judge, would you sign off on a no-knock warrant? Certainly. Yeah, so there, there's a, a place for it. it. It does make sense in a really dangerous situation for the cops. You don't want to give Pablo a heads up that you're coming in, he might come out firing. So was Roderick Talley Pablo Escobar? Absolutely not. This is one of the most outstanding, intelligent young men I've met in many years. He had his own barbershop. He was a young entrepreneur doing the right thing. And for some reason, this undercover police informant, a confidential informant who was just singling out black people in the community, is supposed to be people who were selling cocaine, but he was arbitrarily picking people. The police would say, okay, let's uh, survey them and let's monitor them and then swear out the affidavit, take it to the judge, and let's blow their door off. I mean, they were blowing people's doors off left and right in Little Rock. The Washington Post wrote an expose on this because they couldn't believe it. They had three experts in the article who are former police chiefs, former narcotic chiefs in major cities like New York and Chicago. And they could not believe that Little Rock, Arkansas, in a three-year period, Jink, had 269 no-knock warrants. Not just that these narcotic uh, detectives who I believe are corrupt, but that judges will keep signing these things because literally at the highest level of government, I mean, you're talking about the judge is signing a warrant to say, okay, based on your affidavit and nothing more, we're going to sign another no-not warrant against, again today. And we know we signed one yesterday, and we know we signed one the day before. At what point do the criminal justice system say, this seems awfully uh, voluminous, for to say we got a violent situation every day in Little Rock, Arkansas, and oh, by the way, about 95% of the people are black men and women that we're blowing their doors off of. Of course, as always, but you know, uh, I, I was on a panel in Politicon just over the weekend, and one of the conservatives on the panel said, oh, uh, racism is boring. <laughs> well, not if you got your door blown off, right, and nearly killed, and so, I want to show you guys video because we have it. Okay, uh, and so this is of uh, uh, the Roderick Talley situation, and then afterwards, Ben will give you a little bit more context as to what happened here. This is about a five-minute video, but we're going to just show you 30 seconds here, and then uh, we'll talk about it. Let's watch. We are dominated. Hey, Griff. Well, hey, no, we're not holding the river contact on the frame. That's amazing. So the door gets blown off. I mean, it's no exaggeration. I mean, that's an explosive on the door and it blows it. It looks like they're in the middle of Iraq or something. They're in Fallujah. <laughs> and, I mean, and, and they look like a military. And then, by the way, so he's on the couch. The See, door fell on him. Yeah. Not fell on him, but got blown into him. Exactly. Jake, think about this, and I, I want to put it in some context. They found no cocaine in here, but leading up to this, 
Roderick Talley had a surveillance video. He got to do something, as he said, that most black men never get to do in America, and that has proved that the police are lying on them. There is a sworn affidavit signed by these narcotics detectives that they witness a drug exchange at his apartment by this confidential police informant, where unbeknownst to them, Roderick Taylor had this surveillance video at his apartment showing all the time. So we see the confidential police informant come there, knock on the door. Rod is at work at his barbershop. He can prove where his whereabouts were at. He had apartments that they cut in hair. And so the informant leaves. The next day, there's a video of a police coming out, taking pictures of his door, kind of measuring his door to see how much explosives they will need to blow his door off. And then a week later, at 6.22 in the morning, they come and you see them blow his door off. His dog is aware something is going on. Rod is on the couch sleeping. And you see the number of officers in the riot gear. It's almost as if they were coming for Pablo. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I mean, there's so many things to say about this, but it, you couldn't possibly have 269 Pablo Escobars in Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. Any judge would have to realize this is excessive. And, and so, uh, I'm, but I'm curious about one detail. Why did why was Rod recording inside his house? That's fascinating. It's, it's fascinating because Rod said his apartment had been broken into, oh. and so he has security surveillance, kind of like the ring and stuff that'll notify you when somebody's uh, strange around your house. And so that's, but for that there. They would have got away with it. They took Roderick Talley to jail, even though they found no cocaine, nothing in that uh, warrant that they had, that affidavit they swore out. They had a small bag of marijuana, so they took and put him in jail for four days, five days, just on that alone. And they were trying to make something out of it, just like they tried to make jink something out of all of these cases. Think about the number of poor people, mostly black, who they were trying to get dirt on after these no-knock warrants turned up, no cocaine whatsoever. The Washington Post article uh, had it where there was one older black woman who they busted her door. They came in and they said, where are the drugs? Where are the drugs? In full right gear, this is my mama. This is my grandmother. These are our aunts. And they pointing guns at their heads. Somebody's going to get killed sooner or later. But they're saying, where are the drugs? Where's the eight ball? We know there's an eight ball in here. And I swear to God, the lady says, and they got it on video, I mean recording, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what an eight ball is. I don't even play pool. So, and they don't repair their doors. These poor people have to figure out a way after they say, okay, I'll bad. Now they got to come up with $1,500 to pay for the door. And these are all poor people. They're not doing this in the you know, uh, suburbs. They're going in the inner cities. The people can least afford to pay for doors. This other lady, they blew her front door and her back door off, and she has infant children. Uh, they could afford to get the front door paid. This happened three months ago. They still have cardboard on their back door because they can't afford another door and they're trying to keep the heat in as winter comes and the police have said nothing, did nothing, no apologies. And that's why we are committed, Attorney Michael Lowe and I, and thank God for Roderick Talley. There's 
at least 133. We think there may be as many as 200 people have been arrested net tomorrow in Little Rock. We're going to have it where five people, we got their charges dismissed and they are vindicated and they're gonna be able to show clearly that they were framed. You know, as you're describing how they do it to poor people, um, I, I'm reminded uh, in another interview when I talked to a former Baltimore cop, and he said, "Look, even if we were, even if we were in white areas, we would go make arrests in black areas because they had no power, and we were worried that they that if we made arrests in the white area and we had to hit our quota, that uh, we'd get a, a judge's son and we'd be in trouble." So, have you ever heard of a door being blown off in Beverly Hills? <laughs> Never. <laughs> I, you know, even the People who, they have way more evidence. They still execute the warrant the way the Constitution says you're supposed to execute the warrant. It's only poor people that you see them doing these just Rambo counter tactics. I mean, uh, there's another situation where they have a young man there with his child, his little child, and his son is asking him, Daddy, what did we do? And so this kid is gonna grow up and say, this is what the police get to do to people and for what reasons, we're poor and we're black. And that is not acceptable in America and that's why we're gonna keep fighting this. We're gonna keep a tally. Hopefully you'll allow me to come back on your show. And every month we're gonna show how many uh, alleged defendants we have exonerated from the Little Rock no, not police explosion cases. Well, I remember another story where a baby got shot in a police raid like this. Detroit. And, and, uh, and they still said, nope, nope, we're not responsible. And what you really want is the leadership to say this is unacceptable. These are American citizens, and so we're not gonna let the police have these uh, Rambo tactics and just try to frame anything on people. Uh, I just want to talk to the audience about the legal concept of a, Mon a Monell claim. I have never seen a better Monell case than this. Attorney Mike Lowe and I were talking about it. That is, you can say the city has a pattern and practice of violating people's constitutional rights. The reason this is so egregious to me as president of the Civil Rights Trial Lawyers of America is because here you actually have a prima facie case of Monell violations consistently over a three-year period that not only the police uh, chief in them should have caught, but the judges should have caught. These affidavits are literally, you're cutting and pasting. You're just taking, changing the names and changing the addresses. And every judge kept signing these warrants. But the police chief at some point should have said, man, we are blowing off a lot of people's doors. Nobody stepped in, so it makes me think that it was part of a nefarious thing that at best it was neglect, at worst it was intentional, and it was based on racism. As they do this over and over again, um, and they use informants over and over again, um, Shouldn't judges be a little bit skeptical about an informant that keeps uh, telling you, uh, you know, hey, I got this guy and I got that guy, and and then it's wrong one time after another. And so for the people at home that might not know how this stuff works, they they might be thinking, well, why would an informant make something up? Yeah, and, and that's such a good point, Jake, because uh, most people are looking at this in the abstract. 
But if you are a parent of a black or Hispanic child, arbitrarily, your child, your husband can be targeted, and you have to deal with this. And when the confidential informant continues to not get any uh, viable evidence out of his his uh, swearing out that these people are committing crimes, that should raise a red flag to everybody. No way he should get to number 269 before Roger Tadley finally exposes the conspiracy to indict innocent people. I don't know if it was because there's a prison industrial complex going on in Little Rock. I don't know at this point. We're doing discovery. But what we do know is they failed to get evidence in many of these cases, but yet they kept blowing off the doors. Yeah, and uh, and it, it seems to me that if the informant uh, might even have an incentive, uh, if he's part of the you know part of crime in that area, to finger people who aren't powerful, who aren't part of crime, because if he fingers somebody who's a criminal, he might be in a lot of trouble. If he just fingers random black people who have no power in that area, he keeps getting rewarded for. It. Yeah, and it, I think you're absolutely right because this is not just Little Rock, this is America. This has happened in Miami, this happened in Baltimore, where they were trying to just meet a quota and say, we solved all these crimes. But here, it doesn't make sense to me because, you know, why are you arresting so many people uh, based on bogus cocaine charges when you know that you're not turning up the cocaine? Did they think nobody was ever going to come along? Did they think somebody like me or nobody wasn't ever going to say, hold on, this makes no sense. And thank God for Roger Taylor. I can't say enough about this young man because he refused to be a victim. And I got to tell you, we all get busy. He was calling, he was calling, and I was like, all right, because everybody say I didn't do it. I get yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. thousand of those calls every yeah, week. Yeah. And so when he showed me the video, he said, no, Attorney Crump, I can prove it, man. Please help me. And then I looked at the video. I said, you're right, Ryan. We got to do something about this. And he could get no media, nobody to cover it. But then we got involved, and we started showing this video in a very succinct manner that you can see the police lied on the affidavit, and they said they visually saw a drug transaction at his door that he was participating in. We can prove that that is a absolute bold-faced lie. And yeah. so then, when they take him to jail, you know they're just trying to cover themselves. We can prove that he was illegally detained. He was falsely imprisoned. And so now, we got 133 more people, Jink, because I'm a old civil rights lawyer, and I believe in stuff when they say, and to all of us are free, None of us are free. So I'm going to need your help because none of us free, brother, unless we get all 30, 133 charges dropped and all these young black people, felony convictions taken off their record because I don't have to tell you how hard it is for a black person to get a, a good job in America when they got a felony conviction and it been a trumped up felony conviction. Yeah, you know. Part of, part of what drives me crazy about these injustices is, look, you got the wrong guy. You know you got the wrong guy. Uh, and instead of saying, hey, I, what in the world's going on with my informant? I'm gonna go you know, uh, yeah. have a word with him to say the least. And I, maybe I'm gonna bring him up on charges for lying and getting us in trouble for blowing the wrong door off, etc. You go, no, 
This guy owns a barber shop. Does he own it or he, owned a he, he owns shop. a barber shop? He's obviously an, an average citizen. And by the way, the reason, as you said earlier, he's got the video camera is because he's worried about people bringing into his house. He didn't know it was going to be the cops, yeah. right? The exactly. cops are supposed to be protecting him, exactly, right? And instead, they come and break down his house and then arrest him afterwards, just to get, you know to to CYA cover your ass, yeah. right? That's it. So now, what is what's the justice that you're seeking? You know, Rod. Is extraordinary. He had filed his own lawsuit because he can't get a lawyer. So we now have joined the lawsuit and we're cleaning up a lot of the technical aspects. Um, and the real injustice is this young entrepreneur in the community had to shut down his barbershop after this here because he was being targeted now by the Little Rock police after they exposed him. So he had to move away and start all over again from scratch. These other five people who we now recently got out of jail are gonna be joining the lawsuit. And now, as each one of them, we can exonerate them, they're gonna join the lawsuit, and we're gonna not only try to get them vindicated, but we're gonna try to get them compensated. Because my hope is, if Little Rock has to pay enough money, thunder will strike, and I'm sorry, thunder will roll and lightning will strike on these police officers. Because right now, nobody has been held accountable. Nobody has even been disciplined in any way since the Washington Post broke this story. I mean, they're still on the force. They are still swearing out affidavits against poor black people. So last thing, Ben, real quick, is, is that, okay, on the one level, you got individual justice for, uh, for Roderick and the other five and the other 133, because they got the felony counts uh, on their records, it was wrong, it was injustice, they gotta pay the door, etc. And on the other uh, level, the bigger level, if you can get them to stop doing no-knock warrants uh, at this rate yep. and, and, and actually prevent further injustice from happening in the future, isn't that, in a sense, the best outcome? That is absolutely the best outcome to be able to prevent these miscarriages of justice. And what I believe, Jake, because a lot of times you got to change the individuals who are in control before you get different results. Like in Ferguson, you know, after Michael Brown, when the prosecutor didn't do his job, we now got a young black man as the prosecutor, Wesley Bell. Same thing with Laquan McDonald in Chicago. You got a young black woman as the prosecutor. Trayvon, you got Kim Fox down in Orlando, a young black female prosecutor. So we have to look at the long game. This has to be Chess, not checkers, is strategic. And so what I always ask people to do for me is let's make sure we are committed to getting justice, not just for today, but for tomorrow, for future children yet unborn, because that's the battle. If Ferguson doesn't change, if Little Rock doesn't change, then we fail. Let's keep track of the real game, not just the little uh, battles, but we want to win this war. All right, Benjamin Crump, a legendary civil rights attorney. Thank Amen. you for joining God us. God bless you, brother.